I'm super excited to uh, be kicking off this new series that we're entitling uh, Living Life Missionally and I have a feeling that this series might end up being um, kind of one of our One Life, One Life City kind of annual uh, traditions just like our uh, Lament series because it just touches on this value that is so central to our community and uh, that is so central uh, to our church. And the value that we want to communicate, that I want to communicate today, that we want to model is this value of affirming the sacredness in all of our work, in all of our careers, and in all of our vocations. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I think this uh, verse raises some very interesting questions. The first, which, first, of, first of which is, how do we go about living out this verse, the principle in this verse, all seven days of the week. Because presumably on Sundays, you know, because we attend church, maybe we have Sundays covered in terms of, you know, you know, doing whatever whatever we do in word and deed, we're doing it for Jesus. But what about the other six days of the week? Especially what about those days uh, between Monday and Friday? How do we go about living out this principle during that part of the week? And the point that I want to drive home today and in the series and in our church for years to come is that you don't have to be a quote-unquote full-time pastor. You don't have to be a full-time missionary. You don't have to work full-time in a nonprofit to be able to live out this verse every single day of the week. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to work in a nonprofit to live on mission in the kingdom of God uh, all the days of your life. Because when we look at Scripture, we learn that we're all called to live life missionally. And the kingdom of God doesn't follow this arrangement where there's only a few of us, you know, those that are designated like people in ministry, that live life missionally. And the rest of us, we just have regular day jobs, and our primary contribution to the kingdom of God is to just provide some volunteer hours and give money and really support the ministry of these other people. Scripture doesn't make that kind of distinction. And as many of you know, um, you know, over a given week, I hold lots of different roles. I wear different kinds of hats. But you know what? I, I'm, all, I'm also in full-time ministry as well. Like I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so when I uh, counsel people, I'm doing ministry. When I'm a professor, so when I teach, I'm doing ministry. I'm, when I'm uh, mentoring students, I'm doing ministry. When I'm doing research and writing, I'm doing ministry as well. In fact, the, the, one of my research grants that I'm overseeing is, uh, I don't necessarily share this freely at Biola, because I don't know if everyone will understand, but the, the goal of this uh, grant is for me to decenter and decolonize the spiritual formation literature. So that, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and I'm glad you're at, uh, at Rosemead and CC again. Um, uh, is to decenter and decolonize our spiritual formation com uh, literature and resources away from North American evangelism, evangelicalism because, frankly, our brothers and sisters around the world need resources that are contextualized to their context so that they don't have to filter it through these cultural lenses so that they can actually have culturally congruent resources and thoughts 
um, to, uh, in terms of how we understand formation, how to disciple people, how do we cultivate spiritual maturity in their local context. And I'm an, also an academic, I'm, a, I'm an editor of an academic journal, and we're about to publish a special issue on the intersection of the Christian faith and social justice, and, uh, and, and why it's important for those of us who are Christians to be engaged in anti-racism. And friends, that's ministry, you know? And, um, and oh yeah, I'm also a part-time pastor of the church too, and that's ministry as well, right? And one of the many things that I love about our church is that uh, we're a participatory church, you know? So uh, we're doing panels like we are today because we value incorporating as many different voices, a a diversity of voices, a diversity of spiritual giftings, uh, a diversity of skills into the life of the church because we see all of these things as sacred. And along these similar lines, my hope is that we can take the next step and also value the sacredness of all of our work, including that work that happens during the rest of the week. The sacredness of different kinds of jobs, whether it's white-collar jobs or blue-collar jobs, different careers, different vocations. And we as a church, we want to support, equip, and encourage all of us to engage in the missional Christian life no matter what we do in the middle of the week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13 explains. So Christ himself gave the apostles, gave us the prophets, gave us the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you're interested in this topic, this, uh, there's this theological topic called the priesthood of all believers, and that's kind of the doctrinal kind of category that contains a lot of what I was speaking on earlier today. If you're interested in that, there's this wonderful book by a um, professor by the name of Paul Stevens. He's a professor of applied theology at uh, Regent College, my alma mater. And he wrote this wonderful book titled Liber- Liberating the Laity. And if you don't have time to read this book, I can just summarize the whole kind of uh, foundational thesis of this entire book, which is him looking at Ephesians chapter 11, uh, chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. It says, again, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And the whole premise of this book is that there shouldn't be a comma after the word teachers, right? Because, uh, and he argues this from the standpoint of the Greek, uh, the Greek New Testament, he argues this from the standpoint of theology and ecclesiology, which is the, the, the study of the church. And uh, he says that this, uh, this comma is not only unnecessary, but he calls it the fatal comma. Because by adding this comma after uh, pastors and teachers, and the, the statement after that says to equip all the people for works of service so that we can all attain maturity in Christ. When we add that comma, it almost kind of separates all those uh, kind of callings, you know, like the teacher calling, the pastor calling, the um, apostleship calling from the rest of us. And he argues that not only is this uh, a poor translation of the Greek, but it's also poor theology, right? Right. Because the point of this passage is, in fact, 
the, the purpose of all these roles, the purpose of being an apostle, the purpose of being a prophet, the purpose of being a pastor, the purpose of being a teacher, isn't to do all the work of the ministry, right? The purpose of these roles is actually to equip the rest of us to do the work of the ministry. Like, we are not doing our jobs as pastors if we are not spending all our efforts equipping all y'all to have your own ministry. If I have an arrangement where your purpose and your existence here is to support and do grunt work for my ministry, I'm not living up to my biblical mandate as a pastor, and neither are those individuals who are doing the same as evangelists or as apostles or as prophets, because our job is to equip the entire body for the works of service so that the entire body of Christ may be built up and we can keep equipping the entire body of Christ until we all reach unity in maturity and faith and knowledge uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that is really the, 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 the fundamental principle and fundamental verse that I hang all the, the, the different hats that I wear in a given week. That I'm a psychologist, I'm a professor, I'm all these other things. Fundamentally, I exist so that I can equip God's people not only for mental health and mental well-being, but just as importantly, and I would say even more importantly, towards Christian maturity, which actually encompasses a whole lot of things, a lot more things than I realized when I uh, was uh, growing up uh, in the church. So again, the purpose of Christian leadership is actually not just to lead, not just to do our own ministry, but to mobilize all Christians to live out their God-given calling. And friends, this is why we're so stubborn at our church, again, about incorporating all these different voices and all these different people into not only uh, the pulpit, but also in leadership as well as service in the church, because we are not going to build a, our church around one central leader that has the loudest personality, that directs all the traffic, and that everyone kind of surrounds and supports. Certainly we're going to support our pastors, but we're not going to build a whole church around one narcissistic personality. Because too many churches nowadays, I believe, have followed this model where there's just this one clear leader, oftentimes without accountability, right? And what that person does is he directs traffic, draws crowds, and the entire life and body of a church revolves around this one personality. And friends, this is a disaster. Like whenever we read of you know, failed churches, uh, church scandals, failed ministries, it's because of this kind of disaster of a Christian uh, community arrangement where you have this personality that is a bit, that can be, I'm not saying everyone's like this, um, but it can be somewhat narcissistic and self-absorbed. And when you couple that with a system that does not provide any kind of accountability, you're going to get a ministry where someone's going to use the word of God and use Christian theology to further their own ego and further their own purpose um, instead of the purpose of God. So evidently Siri doesn't uh, has something to say about today's topic uh, as well. And I would like to also add that I think this arrangement is a disaster because fundamentally it was never God's intention when he created the church. What do I mean by that? So oftentimes, uh, you know, we would use the terms like clergy and layperson. We kind of distinguish uh, those two. Um, 
Unfortunately, this distinction is actually nowhere to be found in Scripture. It's actually not based on Scripture, it's based on Greco-Roman culture. And in Greco-Roman culture, uh, the clergy, or the kleros, they were understood as uh, the leaders and the rulers of, uh, of the country. Whereas the layperson, the laos, they were seen as the ignorant or uneducated citizen. But as I mentioned earlier, Scripture doesn't make this distinction. And, as a res uh, and for some reason, because sometimes Christianity, our faith, does get mixed up with the local culture, and we can confuse one with the other. And I feel like this kind of thing was uh, something that unfortunately got passed down through centuries that is more a legacy not of our Christian faith, but actually of Greco-Roman culture, which uh, was a context for the Christian faith, but is not the Christian faith. Right? And as a result, um, you know, and, and the last thing I'm going to say about this is that you know, sometimes when you talk about churches, um, people will describe a church by the name of the head pastor. You know, like, oh, it's not One Life City Church, it's Elliot's Church kind of a thing, right? And, you know, that's not what our church is about. This is not just Elliot's church, it's not just Jay's church or, you know, Vanessa's church or Dave's church. It's, it's all our churches, and we want to not only preach this but model this uh, in real life. And, and one step towards that end, and this week uh, I'm super excited to kick off this series on missional life by highlighting the many different ways that different people in our community actually live out their calling during the week. And this week, I think it's uh, appropriate because we're in the middle of the first in, uh, at Biola University. We just finished our first week of the semester. A little bit overwhelming. I think we're all really tired, so I appreciate you guys still coming to church uh, after that. Um, so we are going to invite a few of our, mem uh, our uh, panelists from our uh, community who are actually teachers and who work in education and who serve and minister in the public school system. And I'm excited to uh, hear their stories and uh, to pick their brains on how they have you know, found uh, a sense of calling and meaning even in their work. So uh, if you guys can join me in welcoming uh, Tanya and um, Katie. Uh, into our panel. So the first question I have for the two of you is uh, just kind of an open-ended uh, question. Um, how have the two of you seen your work as a teacher, your work in education as an important part of your spiritual calling? Like, how do you see education, your work in education, as a part of your spiritual calling? I can start off. Um, so, I actually do not currently work in education. I made that really clear, but they still wanted me to be up here. So, um, I worked at Cal State Fullerton uh, for the past six and a half years, and I uh, taught part time, and then I oversaw a program where college students would take courses and then do work in preschools and under resourced communities. So, I worked with uh, college students in those two contexts. And in June, I actually left that job, and I'm in a transition now. Um, but I really saw the, the context that I had at Cal State Fullerton as a way to form relationships with these students. And um, I think I actually heard that term first through some volunteer work at Solidarity, that it was this context for relationship, where 
these 45 to 50 college students every year were stuck with me as their supervisor. And for nine months, um, they were in my office and I was visiting them in preschools and I was doing uh, trainings for them. And I also had a lot of them in my classes. Um, and so it really just gave me this opportunity to get to know them. And Cal State Fullerton is a huge university. And so students would come to me for really basic things like can you help me figure out what class i should take next semester to like wow i think i might be experiencing some suicidal thoughts and i would just be a, a person that they could come to um, because they knew me and the campus is huge and then i could connect them i could invest in them and i saw god do things with that that i had no idea when i applied for this job i was like preschoolers i've worked with preschoolers i love preschoolers let's work in this you know early age to intervene and then God was like, oh, how about college students, you know? And finding this way to connect with them um, and show God's love to them. I was at a public university, and so I was not explicit about my faith. Um, but, you know, things come up. Students would ask me about stuff, and um, I just had a lot of opportunities to have conversations um, and just to be a presence. And I think I was actually talking to, to Jay recently. I learned, I realized that um, students, you know, they... they Oh, actually, I was talking to Dave and Vivian. <laughs> people just need someone to talk to. And sometimes people would be like, wow, why don't I tell you all this stuff about me? You know, and I'm like, because I'm not looking at my phone. Like, you ask me a question and I listen to you, you know? And I think that God gave all these opportunities that um, some of them I got to, to learn about later, the way God was using them. And someday, I, some of them I probably won't ever know. But I was there to supervise them in this program and to teach them about child development. Um, but God gave me the opportunity to show his love to them. Um, through just a context of relationship. Yeah, I love that theme of uh, looking at work as a, as a context for a relationship, and I feel like education is a really great example of that. How about you, Tanya? Okay, <laughs> I'm like really nervous, <laughs> which is not normal in the classroom, but in front of here, I'm like, oh, they're a lot older. Yeah, they're, they're a lot older, but <laughs> okay, how have I, how have I seen my work in teaching education? Okay. Um, so I just started my 16th year in education. <laughs> and <I can't. laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Um, and uh, I've taught basically the littles on my whole career. The highest I've gone is actually second grade. But um, you know, my current grade is with the, the grade that I've taught the longest, which is TK, transitional kindergarten, and basically it's a hybrid of preschool and kinder. And um, I was telling um, Dave and Katie this earlier this week that, oh, there's a picture of my class. And shout out to my husband, Pastor Jaywoo, for stapling those things up high. <laughs> um, for the first probably 12 years of my career, it was pretty steady until we got pregnant with the twins, and then just everything was roller coaster. Got moved to different school site, pandemic, right? So, what I really learned through pandemic um, with my teaching as experience calling mm -hmm. is that um, partnership with parents. And so literally I was in the, my students' homes every day, five days a week, couple hours a day, right? And so I really, the parents um, trusted me and you know, it, it was all out there for them to see, like my, the way I was t talking to their children, the way I was teaching their children, and for me to show love kindness, a lot of grace, um, both ways, 
not just with the children, but with the parents, and, and vice versa with me as well, because we were all in the same new boat of virtual teaching. And can you believe it, these TKers, I'm so proud of them. They, we went through the whole year with, from beginning to end, five different schedules. You know, wow. it was nuts. But they, you know, and could not have done it without the parents' help, obviously, because, you know, they had to get them on Zoom and help them with their work and whatnot. But um, never before in my teaching career have I had this type of relationship mm -hmm. with the parents. Mm -hmm. And I think through that, it's, it's kind of pushed me to continue that, even though we're back in person now. Like, how do I maintain these relationships and partnerships with parents to, to ensure the child success? So that's, um, and, you know, I've told them, like, I kind of see myself as like a third parent, yeah. you know, yeah. um, teaching them not just education, not just as an educator, but um, kindness and empathy and, you know, organization and, and independence and social skills and all that, that yeah. um, when they leave the classroom, that they continue that at home and the parents, you know, see that and they're like, well, my, my kid can do these on their own. Like, yeah, they can be really independent, you know, yeah. you teach them. And so um, just having that, that relationship with parents and families, I see that as a big part of my calling now, not just being a teacher in the classroom. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And gosh, I, I just love these themes. We have uh, work as a context for relationship. Uh, we have kind of this theme of the ministry of presence and how during the pandemic, this ministry of presence actually took you straight to their home, you know, and, and how it applies to not just the students, but their parents as well. And I remember even in our kind of uh, preparatory conversations, we were talking about how important, uh, how much of our ministry is being just another adult that's present in their room, and that's a positive influence. And in some cases, we might actually be one of the only positive influences that a child can have. Um, and that's, that's a high calling, you know, that's a high calling. Um, so relatedly, maybe the, the next question I'd want to invite both of you to, to speak into is, um, is there like a moment or a story in your work in education and teaching that um, you just sense God's presence, God's work there, or uh, you just sense like, you know, I'm called to do this. And this just kind of confirms that. Is there a moment or story like that for either of you? Um, you'll have to forgive me, I can't speak for Tanya, but you know, I got paid <laughs> for a long time to talk, so yeah, I um, might get a little wordy here. But um, a couple stories that came to mind when we were talking about this. I had a student, and this might seem really simple, but I had a student who stopped me one day in the hallway. She was like, Katie, you're so busy. Like, why are you so busy? I just, I want to talk to you, you know? And I was like, okay, like, we can figure that out. And she was a first-generation college student. She was graduating, and she was trying to figure out career, grad school, what was next. And her parents were amazing and worked incredibly hard to support her but they didn't know how to do the grad school process and they did not have the kind of career that she was wanting to go into. And so she just said, I just need someone to talk to. Like, can you just talk to me and help me figure out like what is going on? And it did a couple of things for me. It made me realize like, oh wow, like these, these students, they care about what I think. And I do have a, a, a value to them that I might not recognize. And also I'm too busy. If I can't, if these people feel like you don't care, I mean, she knew I cared, but she was like, I can't get to you, that it just reminded me I need to, I mean, that's the problem, right? I also had a job to do that was not necessarily counseling college students, but I wanted to be present in that job so that I wouldn't miss those moments that God was giving me to speak into their lives. Um, 
And then at the end of my first year of being at the job, it was actually just like seven months because I started partway through. A student that was graduating gave me a note and she mm. just appreciated me for showing Jesus' love to them as students. And I didn't know she had a faith in Jesus and I never explicitly expressed that to her. We never had a conversation about it. Um, but she just really affirmed that she noticed that and that it made a difference. And again, this is a secular university, right? It's, it's Cal State Fullerton. And she noticed that and it just made me realize the Holy Spirit works. It doesn't matter if we're in a business, um, in an office, in a classroom, or in a church. Like The Holy Spirit is going to work through us and is going to minister to people in the way they need to. And I think sometimes I felt frustrated with my lack of ability to speak explicitly about Jesus. And I think God was like, no, I got this. Like, <laughs> you are in this place for a reason and you have a presence in their life and the Holy Spirit, like I will, I will, I will make that clear. Um, and then one final story since, you know, we're up here. Yeah, um, <laughs> I had a student who worked, at, she was in the program for two years. So I got to know her really well. And I knew that she had had some really difficult experiences and we had talked quite a bit and the year after she graduated, her um, like 12-year-old brother passed away. And one of the other students let me know, like, hey, I don't know if you heard, but you know, this happened. And so I just reached out to her, and, and we were trying to get together for coffee. And again, she's not a student anymore. Um, I wasn't any sort of supervisor. And so I just felt like reaching out to her. And I felt very clearly around Easter, God was like, you got to invite her to church on Easter. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, it's mixing my worlds, right? Like I knew her at, at school. I, I don't want to bring her to church. And I just felt like you got it. So I mean, I just sent a text message, right? It's not like that stressful. But I sent the text message and right away she was like, yes, I want to come to church. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, that just happened. Um, and she came to church and she got really involved and her life completely turned around. And, and she's still on her journey. But God has taken her um, on a journey of healing. And I didn't do that. I just responded to one prompting of the Holy Spirit because I had relationship with her. Mm. I was able to extend that. And she said, yes, I want to come. And again, it just, you're going to get sick of me hearing it just in this morning, but relationship is so important. Yeah. Like I knew her, she trusted me. And so then when I brought up Jesus, she was like, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I need something and I know who you are. And then God used that. Um, and so that, is just really encouraging to see the way that God can use us wherever we are. Oh, thank you so much, Katie, and, and uh, love all of it. And particularly, I'm just I'm still thinking about what you're sharing of like, you know, even though we're so busy doing our work, if we're too busy to actually have time to be present to people, like something is horribly wrong with this equation, you know. And that in, uh, uh, includes not just those of us who work in education, but those of us who work in ministry, because it's quite possible that we're so busy doing ministry, we don't have time for people. And there's something ironic and really tragic about that, right? Tanya, how about you? All right, I've got three mini stories to <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, to piggyback off of Katie and just about relationship, right? I think as educators, we have these students for, what, nine months of the year, several hours a day, but you think it's just that one year, right? But like, it, do I make an impact uh -huh. in that one year, right? And especially the littles. But um, so my mini stories kind of all revolve around that. My first mini story is um, when you when students and parents see you outside the school, you're like a mini celebrity kind of. <laughs> you know, well, first of all, students like don't believe that you don't live at school. <laughs> 
but anyways, I, I, there was a grandma who I ran into, of a, and she was the main like guardian of, of her granddaughter who I had when I taught first grade. And she said, oh my gosh, you know, um, Alexia, she's, you know, she's in high school, she's doing really great, and you know, tomorrow she's actually gonna start her first job at In-N-Out. You know, I was just so happy that she, the grandma remembered me, but also to share the good news about her granddaughter and to, to, to know that, you know, to also that I remembered her as well because I, you know, you see these grandparents who pick up their their grandkids like every, you know, every day, and you talk to them about, you know, positives and whatever. So um, that was one story. So it's like, oh yeah, she remembered me, and I'm so happy that she was able to share. Even I kind of wish she was, the granddaughter was there so I could see her, but you know, <laughs> it was it was cool. Um, the second story is um, a couple of years ago when I was at my first school site, there was a parent. This is when DACA was really, really yeah. like crazy at that time, and she was really nervous about getting deported and. She asked me um, personally to write her a letter, mm. write a letter on, on her behalf, um, because how old was she, Tony? This is the parent. Oh, the parent. Yeah, okay. the parent. Uh, the child was in in TK. Okay. But um, she was just really distraught and just needed mm. support, and, and I, I felt, um, you know, honored and also just like just heartbroken that she was going through um, through that time. So and. I, I actually don't, I, I often think back like oh, I wonder how they're doing it if there's because yeah. we are not the same school so it's hard to track the kids like that but um, relationship right like she she felt she trusted me as yeah. her child's former teacher you know, yeah. this is when the, the child was out of my class already and the third story um, when my first you know, you, you kind of always remember your first year because it was like this the craziest year <clears> like hit the ground running kind of a thing. But one of my old students um, by that by this time was a senior in high school, which is like what? <laughs> um, she she found me through her district email and she emailed me and she asked if she could, could come visit because I was at the same school and she just wanted to come and say you know I'm a senior now and things like that. Do you remember me? I go yeah, I remember your pigtails. I remember your smile. It's just like your mom. And you know I had her little brother as well as a student. So um, you know to to. You know, to get those connections and the kids remember you, or the yeah. parents remember you, or the parents, it's, that really kind of um, makes you feel like, yeah, this is what I'm called to do. Yeah. You know, like I am making an impact, no matter how small. Um, if it was just like, you know, shoulder to cry on, or like, I understand how your kid is hard with your kid because I have them all day. You know, like, <laughs> I get it. You know, like, we can do this together. So, yeah. yeah, and because they spend so much time with you, there's that same kind of familiarity, mm -hmm. right? Where you, you kind of see the real self as opposed to someone, and and uh, and just the impression that I was getting from what you're sharing, Tanya, is that y'all are really like on the front lines of the community. So you you see everything, and so when things like DACA affect our communities, and uh, especially our, with our undocumented friends, um, you're on the front lines, and that's part of our ministry. Uh, it's being present to that. Um, just one more question for us, uh, and maybe this is more directed for Katie. Um, I, I know you just shared that you have uh, recently transitioned out of a very intense, uh, uh, meaningful job, but also a very intense job. I wanted to invite you to share a little bit of like how that, how's that transition been for you? Um, what have you learned along the way, and how has your sense of calling uh, sharpened, you know, even as you're in the middle of this transition? Yeah, so, so as they've shared, I'm, I'm in the middle, so like I don't, this is not going to end with a pretty bow, right? Like to be continued on what's going to happen. Um, but I felt like at the, the role I was in, it did provide me really meaningful opportunities, and I, I loved what I was doing. 
Um, but it was a lot, and it got to a point where I realized it was too much for me. And I think there's sometimes this expectation that I grew up with that if you can do something and it's like benefiting the kingdom, like you just do it. And um, recognizing him, and it's hard, right? I mean, there's a lot of teachers in the audience, I know. Um, we could all sit and talk about how hard it is uh, with children, with, with adults, with parents. Um, and so it's not that it's like normally easy. It's always challenging, but there's a point that I felt um, with a lot of help from other people too, that like it crossed the line where it went from this is hard, but you know, God's in this to like, this is not healthy for me. Um, and some of that I realized honestly, as I've had time to reflect is I think I was trying to do it too much out of my own strength. And I was like, I can do this. I can help all these students and I can make all this impact. And, and my dependence on God, uh, it got off balance and, and that, that was not sustainable because I was trying to do it on my own strength. And, and, and so who knows if that means I go back into that same sort of work or if God takes me somewhere different. But I think being able to recognize that something wasn't working anymore and that God was giving me permission and maybe even like encouraging me and kind of like, you got to deal with yourself and me and you got to get right. And, and, you know, we're always in a process. It's not like I'm going to get some like, ding, I got it and go back in. There's always going to be healing that's happening, but recognizing that it was not working anymore, it wasn't sustainable, and to have the freedom um, that God was saying, that's okay, I want to help you resource some, restore some things, and um, I think especially for, for teachers, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of vocations, but it's really, it's really trying, and I've worked with the same age that Tanya's worked with, and, and I can imagine I have friends that are junior high teachers, and, and that might be harder than the five-year-old sometimes, but, um, you know, it's hard work, and I think that sometimes for me, it's hard to depend on God. It's easier to just, like, grit my teeth and bear it, and I think being reminded that this only works when it's an outflow of what God's doing in us, and if it's not overflowing from what we have inside, like, it's not going to work, and in some ways, that's part of what happened to me, um, and so trying to take a step back and that doesn't mean that I like missed it or that the years were wasted or that anything. It's just like God wants to, to do some deeper things. Um, and then whatever's next, I, I'm confident um, that God will use this and use the experience that I had for whatever's next. He, he does that really graciously. And so what my calling will be exactly and what that will look like, I don't know. But um, I think it's important. And it's something that I'm very passionate about that we recognize when we need to, to discern when we need something too. And I think especially in professions when you're so focused on others, it's easy to just keep giving and giving and giving and you feel selfish to like take care of yourself. Um, but to recognize that, that we have to do that sometimes. So. Yeah, thank you, Katie. And, and I feel like this is a really, uh, thanks for just modeling and sharing with us and illustrating how nuanced calling can be, where you can be called to something, but that can coexist with uh, it being the right time to step down from it as well, you know, and um, and how a lot of us uh, kind of run the risk of, you know, over-spiritualizing our calling and just kind of running ourselves down to the ground and, um, and that there's limits and there's wisdom that needs to be exercised along the way. Like, it's not just 110% all the way until I run myself into the ground kind of a thing. There needs to be some wisdom and discernment as well.
So thank you again so much. And, and what, what we're going to do is we're going to bring the conversation to you. And what I want to do is just invite you to just discuss with someone next to you. Um, how have you seen your calling at work uh, in the rest of the week for, uh, of your life as well? Like, how do you see your spiritual calling integrated uh, Monday to Saturday? So why don't we just discuss this for a few moments, and we'll come back together. Go ahead. And um, we're, we're going to have a lot more conversations like this uh, for, you know, in the rest of the series, uh, hopefully in future series like this in future years. Um, and I had something uh, all snazzy uh, prepared to, to kind of land the plane today. But, um, but Tanya had something better during our conversation. So um, let me give it to Tanya. <laughs> hey, I will be ending our time today. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, it actually just came when, when Dave was uh, asking you guys all the question and then saying, you know, a lot of times we over-spiritualize our calling, and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I've been under-spiritualizing my calling this whole, for like 15 years, <laughs> or 14 years. Um, and, you know, I never thought of my my vocation as my calling. Really. I just thought, I really, I thought this job just really suits me. And it's not just a job, it's a career, right? That's what I was thinking. And it's great for when I have kids one day, which I do, and it is great. But um, thinking, you know, like, being a there to love on the families and the kids, being there to um, guide and show God's love and all that, like, oh wow, I have been, this is my calling, this, I've been in ministry That's all right. this time and not even That's acknowledging right. it for myself. So I want to thank Dave um, for inviting us up and asking those questions and posing um, these questions so that I can like really think about it and really, you know, converse with the panel and um, move forward with that in mind. Like it's not just a job or career; it, it is my calling. And until God calls me out, right? Yes. So we'll see when that happens. But um, or if, yeah. So so thank you for that, and for I guess as an encouragement to all of us, um, with Dave's question to continue that conversation about what you're doing, what you plan to do, what you have done, right? In the past, like where where was God in that, and where was your your ministry in there? Because I'm sure God work through you wherever you were, you know, and wherever you're going, so, yeah. yeah maybe we should add Tanya into our teaching group. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. And, and kind of uh, continuing what, what, what uh, Tanya was sharing, um, like, I would love for our church to begin to um, uh, have a, a different posture towards all the different careers, like you know how we, you know how we pray for and we support and we send out like our missionaries, you know, and then we ask them to write like you know updates with prayer requests on like you know the people that are ministering to. I would love us to like do the same for our teachers because they're ministering to our public schools, and I would love for us to kind of send them with the same kind of mentality um, as our, our kind of cross-cultural missionaries because they are also kind of on the front lines. And for us to kind of have that, to the beginnings of that kind of um, paradigm shift. So what I like to do to close close our time together is maybe a sending prayer for not only Tanya and Katie, but also all the rest of our, um, uh, all the rest of our educators and teachers in our church. And we'll close our time in order of prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we want to affirm the holiness and the sacredness of the callings of all the teachers and educators uh, in our community. 
We pray as the school year starts for them, uh, even, that, even in the midst of their busyness and feeling overwhelmed as we're all returning to in-person instruction um, in various degrees uh, from COVID, that, um, that you might ground them in your presence, that you might ground them in your strength, that you might ground them in um, your heart for the communities. Uh, and the neighborhoods that they serve. And we pray for them that you might anoint them with the Holy Spirit, uh, just as you do with missionaries, as they are present to the the children and the kids and the parents and the families uh, that they are with, that you might bless this context for relationship, that even in the mundane, in those in-between times, that uh, that you might uh, open up for them those precious (laughs) unexpected moments to really walk and accompany someone in their life, to speak into their life, and to be your hands and feet that are uh, in, in ways that even the church cannot be accessible to them. And we pray for this upcoming year. Uh, we pray against burnout. We pray uh, for a sustainable uh, life and work rhythm for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.